Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream Folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, dictated is almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. Today is Monday, July 27th, 2009. This is episode 240-something, three, four, I don't know. Uh, it's a Monday. You'll have to forgive me for not knowing what episode I'm on. Uh, all I know is that we're rapidly getting up to a point where we're going to hit 250, which to me is going to be a landmark event. 250 episodes. I mean, think about it. It's, it's, it's less than a year, or just over a year at this point that we've been doing this show together, and we're at 250 episodes, which means there's about... I did the math, about 190 hours worth of information and resources available to um, you guys through the archives. So make sure you check those out. Um, I'm going to continue with having kind of an intro segment, then doing the housekeeping, and then going on something else. Now, I want to tell you guys in advance, I got a lot of emails from you guys that were like worried about my health and thought I was going to have a coronary or something because I was so pissed off on Friday. And I got a couple of you that thought, well, oh, it must be because you lost your dog, your buddy. And um, yeah, I got to tell you, I was angry on Friday, not because I lost my buddy. Um, I'm sad about losing my buddy, my dog. Um, I was angry because of stupidity on Friday. Um, I got a triple whammy of stupidity at the house for the intro segment, and then I got a triple whammy of stupidity on the highway. And some of you guys would say, it's counterproductive and you sound so angry. I I even had one guy say, could you redo the show? Because I couldn't hang with it because you were too angry. No! I can't redo the show because you couldn't hang with it because I was too angry. Jeez! You know, if if me being angry and yelling, and and these people like, I've been listening to you since the very beginning. Man, that show was nothing compared to how angry I've been on sometimes. So I don't know what you, when you think the beginning was, maybe episode 225, I, I don't know. If you've been listening from the beginning, if you go listen to five lies uh, that are destroying America and five more lies that are destroying America, if you just go to the survivalpodcast.com and type in five, five, the number five, and then the word lies, you'll find those two episodes. And if you listen to those two, you'll hear me get a hell of a lot angrier than I did then. I also had somebody go, well, you should have Actually, I had a couple people. Why'd you call a guy a Mexican that cut up, cut you off? Because uh, he was a Mexican, and you know that's not why I got upset with him. I drive by plenty of people with Mexican descent every day, and I have no problem with them. This guy was driving a car with a broken window, no license plate, and pulled out doing a whopping speed of about 15 miles an hour while I was doing the speed limit of 65. So that's why he pissed me off. Okay. Anyway, maybe nobody will piss me off today. Now I will warn you today: you may have to deal. And in fact, you are almost definitely going to have to deal with rain noise because I saw a giant bank of clouds when I checked the weather before I left the house, and I'm expecting to drive through a bunch of rain today. Maybe I'll get lucky and it won't happen, but be prepared for it. Now, today's intro segment is going to be, again, we're talking about the best and the worst of the ass clown. Uh, the, the Obama administration, not just him as an individual, but his entire ass clown uh, circus. And, um, you know, the ass clown uh, is doing something that I can't find fault with. So 
let's talk about the best of the ass clown right now. The ass clown, unlike the Bush administration, that when we were all upset about illegal immigration, when did a few high-profile raids that started taking away some illegals uh, from factories and mills and stuff like that, and taking two or three hundred at a time and deporting them, when we know that's just a drop in the bucket. And the systemic cause is really the people that employ them knowingly. So what the Obama administration is doing, they're actually really cracking down on employers right now that are employing these illegal immigrants. And, uh, of course, the advocates of uh, you know border control have said that if we did that, eventually they'll leave because they won't be able to get a job. So they're really getting tough on that. And they're getting tough on it not just with illegals from our southern border. They're getting tough on it, period. And one of the companies I work with is a recruiting firm that recruits a lot of technical skills. And we do a lot of technical recruiting from across the, co- the world because a lot of these skill sets, trust me, when they say an American won't do the job, it ain't an American won't do the job. We can't find a qualified person that's unemployed willing to take a three-month contract to do the job. We have a lot of those situations with very specialized skills. So we have to deal with immigration a lot. I can tell you they've got a lot tougher on it. It's no problem for us because we comply with all the legalities, but I know for a fact it's being done. So they're doing that, and they actually seem to be stepping up border security a great deal. So they seem to be doing everything the right way with immigration. But... Here's the other shoe. Here's the worst of the ass cloud. I believe it is just a farce, and it is intended so that a few months from now, as we get near the elections, or maybe after you know, the, 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 the short-term elections locally and all, and uh, people kind of get through that, and we get into the beginning of next year, that they can turn around and say, look, we've done everything you've asked. We're, we're securing the border. We're getting it done. We're cracking down on employers of illegals. We're making it more and more difficult to be an illegal alien. And and the other thing they're doing, and to be fair, they're doing this. They're really cracking down on criminal illegals. Now, I know you're going to email me and go, no, they're not. I know this illegal alien did this, and he's a criminal, and he's been you know arrested 15 times, and he's still not deported. I, I know. I know. I'm not saying they're doing it perfectly. I'm saying at least they're starting to do it. But I think what they're going to do is turn around and say, look at all this we're doing. And we're going to keep doing it. And you guys that didn't want amnesty, this was your problem, that we, we wouldn't seal the border, that we wouldn't crack down on those that were still illegal. Now we got to play ball with amnesty. And um, I think that's what's coming. So there's your best and worst intro. Pay attention. See if it don't happen. I'm telling you it's what's going to happen. I'm pretty damn sure of it. Um, I just read a bunch this weekend on Obama and his crackdown on illegal immigration. And it was the first thing that popped into my mind. These guys want amnesty and they're willing to, they figured out how to play the game the right way and minimize the objections. Because remember what a lot of the middle said last time. Oh, well, you know, the reason we're against this is because you're not doing anything to stop it from continuing. So he's filling that objection. Now, will it be enough to get it through? I hope not, because I don't want amnesty, especially the way they planned on doing it, where, you know, four quarters and you got full Social Security benefits and all this other crap, and you got so many advantages over other citizens. I am for some type of a normalization, legalization process for people that are here that are working their ass off and doing a good job and not causing any problems. Um, but it sure as hell ain't an amnesty program, and it sure ain't funded by me. You want to come here, you want to stay here, you want an exception, you pay for it out of your, your own pocket, and if you sneeze the wrong way, 
when it comes to criminal behavior. Your ass goes to the back of the line on the way out the door, and you lose everything, including any money you've spent to get it done right. You don't get amnesty from taxes. You do, you know, all that good stuff. I'm going to leave it there. I just wanted to bring that up to your attention. That's what's going on. I predict that in the next couple months you're going to hear all kinds of things in the news about how wonderful Obama's being about locking down the border. And I'm telling you, amnesty's the other shoe. Wait for it. All right, let's do our housekeeping. Number one, advertiser of the day, SOE Tactical Gear. John Willis and his people, best equipment you will find in the tactical industry today. Originally started building it custom for special operators like the Navy SEALs and Green Berets. That's where the company started out at, and today you can have access to that equipment. Next, consider joining our discussion forum. I think you'll learn a lot. I think you'll make a lot of friends. The knowledge resource is huge. I know it can be kind of like a little bit tough sometimes for people to start making their first couple posts and get to know people. I'm telling you, it will improve your preparations. It will improve your outlook, and it will help you understand how not alone you really are. Uh, next, Region 6 has set its get-together for around September 18th, I think 18th and 19th, or 17, 18, 19, somewhere like that. That's up in Iowa. Shannon has a bunch of great uh, presenters lined up. You can find out more in the Region 6 forum. I'll have a link to today's show as per usual. Uh, next, if you think you get more than 25 cents in value per episode, consider joining the Members Support Brigade with a contribution of $5 a month. Or if you think it's only worth 20 cents, maybe do an annual membership at $50 a year. You'll help support the show. You'll get special content available only to members, and you'll get over $64 in retail value freebie giveaways in the Members Support Brigade, in addition to extra videos by me that are only available to MSB members. Um, so consider doing that if you want to help support the show. Next thing I wanted to tell you, I've had a lot of people ask me about books. Well, I've started to put together a book list of books that I actually own, and I've only done a few, and I'll tell you right now, if you buy one uh, from Amazon.com, I'll make 50 cents or something like that. I don't know what it is. So if you can get a better deal on it somewhere else, go ahead and buy it somewhere else. But if you're going to buy it from Amazon, go through my link before you do, and, and yeah, that'll help support the show in kind of a way that doesn't cost you a thin dime. Um, I've only just started to put it together. What I'll tell you about my book list is every book on there and every book that I'm going to add to it is actually in my home, and I've actually read it. If it's not in my home on my bookshelf, it's because it's on loan to a friend. And uh, I will not put any books in there that I haven't read cover to cover, uh, page by page, and fully endorse as a good, solid book for uh, prepping or for permaculture or for agriculture and things like that. So if you're interested in my book list, you can watch it grow and just go to the main website and look in the, the center column, and you'll see uh, a list of pages. And one of the pages will be book lists. Click, click on that. You can take a look at it. Next thing I want to do is encourage you um, to either link up with me on Facebook or Twitter. With a caveat, I'm not good at Facebook and Twitter. I don't really, I don't, I'm not into it the way a lot of you guys are. But I've set it up at least it's automated to the point now where every time I publish a show, it will show up on my Facebook page and it will show up in my Twitter. So if you're following me on Twitter or if you are a friend of mine on Facebook or if you're a fan of my you know Facebook fan page, you'll get notified of all the updates if you choose notification that way. So. You know, consider doing that. Understand I will interact with you on Twitter if you tweet me, tweet me, I guess they call it. I will interact with you on Facebook. I know I'm supposed to be the web marketing guru and I should be all into these two things. They just don't 
fit me the way they fit other people. I get it. I understand it. But I don't dedicate myself to it. So if you send me a message on Facebook or you tweet me or whatever, I'll probably respond. It may be a week. If you send me an email, I'll probably respond to you right away uh, because that's where I spend my life is in and out of my email. All right. So with that, let's get on to today's show, which is going to be questions and answers uh, from the audience. Uh, your questions, my answers. Uh, first question today is on hand crank radios. Guys, since I've got one of these hand crank radios, somebody gave it to me. And I realized right away kind of how cheap it is. And he said he, uh, he went to BePrepared.com, which is actually a fairly well-known company. It's actually Emergency Essentials owns that domain. And he saw a radio there uh, by a company called Kato, K-A-I-T-O. Um, and I took a look at it. He wanted to know if it was a cheap gimmick or was it really practical. And this radio's got a um, hand crank, it's got solar panels, and it's got DC charging capability, and it can run on regular batteries. And uh, I guess the solar's a nice touch. And it comes with a variety of tips that are made to uh, charge cell phones. And um, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's going to be a good solid unit or not. It's 50 bucks. I think I'm going to buy one today because I think it looks pretty daggone cool. And I can give you more of my opinion on that uh, after I buy it. Here's what I can tell you for those hand-cranked radios. I've got one, and it's plastic, and I don't know how rugged it is. Uh, but it's made by a company called Grundig. Grundig, G-R-U-N-D-I-G. I've had it for, oh, about four years. I've never had a problem with it. I get fairly good battery life off of a good one or two minutes of cranking, and that's for the radio, not necessarily for the lights. Um, I'm pretty happy with that unit, and it does have a little light on it, and it is pretty clear. And I'll tell you what, I like it enough that what I used to do with it is I would take it out in my boat and uh, listen to it while I fished. And any time the battery ran down, I'd just pick it up and crank it up a little bit. And uh, from that, I'd get another 15, 20 minutes out of it. And it was fine for that. So it's been on my boat. It's been splashed with water. It seems to have done okay. I think if I dropped it on the concrete, it would break because it is plastic. And the one that you've asked me about looks like it's made out of plastic, too. So I, I don't know. I'll, I'll let you know after I actually buy one. The other thing that I own is a, is a crank-up lantern, LED lantern, by a company called Greatland, G-R-E-A-T-L-A-N-D, Greatland or Greatland, depending on how you would say it, I guess. And I bought that on Target for about 20 bucks. Very, very happy with it. Uh, it's very well made. However, it is plastic. I get very good lighting from it. I get a good long duration of it. It also has a radio in it. It is FM only, where the uh, the little Grundig is AM, FM, and two shortwave bands. Uh, this one's FM only. The audio quality is horrible from the little speaker on the side of the lantern. It does have a an earbud jack, and with that, it is quite good for having another radio available that has its own you know ability to be recharged by simply cranking it. It does take quite a bit of cranking once it's dead to get a good long life out of it. But it's better than having you know, dead batteries and something that has great battery life, except the batteries are dead. This is uh, my, my final thought on this is what I really like about my little radio, the, the first one, the Grundig, is it has an ability to be charged with D, you know, DC uh, power inverter. But you have to buy a DC adapter separately. It doesn't come with it. And the same thing with this, uh, this Kato. So I definitely recommend that because you can plug it in and fully charge it, maxed out. Um, and then once that's done, you can just, as you're using it occasionally, give it a little bit of charge back, and it'll last a lot longer. 
longer that way. So I do recommend that. The solar thing, I, I don't know how useful that's really going to be on something small like a little radio like that. They're fairly small panels. But if I were fishing with it, I guess, it would be constantly getting trickle charged while I listen to it. So again, I'll buy one. I'll let you know. I think it's worth the $50 investment on my end to uh, let you guys know what I think about that unit. Uh, next one. Guy asked me about patio gardening. He's got some interesting questions. The question itself has taught me a few things. One, he asked me what I think about earth tainers. Well, I didn't know what the hell an earth tainer was, so I went and looked at it. And basically, you build an earth tainer out of uh, the uh, the fairly large rubber-made tubs with a metal plate about halfway down. And you fill from the metal plate to the top with potting soil. And then you have a, a, a wicking basket that goes down through a small hole into the bottom. And that's also filled with uh, potting soil that goes all the way up to the potting soil. So there's a hole through this plate in the center. I'll put a link so you can see this thing. And then there's kind of an air gap there. And then you fill the bottom with water. And it is very, very efficient use of water. And uh, apparently they have very good results growing stuff on this. Hey, man, if you want to try one, go ahead. They said they cost about 30 bucks to build uh, with parts from Home Depot or Lowe's. And, hey, build one and see. That's my best answer on that. He also, also asked me about stacked hydro on a patio. If you want to try it, go ahead. He's got a 60-watt solar setup to run a pump. I think that's great. I would do that if I were you, and I would start working on it right now just to see how it works and, and you know, to see what kind of results you can get out of it. He also asked about doing kind of microaquaponics with maybe like a 50-gallon uh, fish tank. And I'd say, you know what? There's no reason not to do that. You could probably grow some pretty interesting uh, in-water vegetables. Talk about doing fish right away. I don't know how much you can grow as far as edible fish in that environment. But you might be able to grow a few. Um, in a 50-gallon tank, you could probably grow some uh, sunfish or maybe even some tilapia. I'm really not sure. I would want to go much larger, but I'll tell you what, there's a great aquaponics forum that I found, and they have uh, advice for setups from the micro to the macro, the huge system down to the little tiny, you know, 25-gallon uh, type system. So I'll post a link in today's show notes. Why don't you check that out and see what you can uh, what you can glean from the advice of people who have actually done it, because I haven't actually messed with aquaponics myself yet. Something I'm waiting on my big move before I do. It's just not another thing I need to have to deal with when I leave here. Another person asked me a question, and the, t- the subject line was baseline, and they said, you know, can you help us by understanding, kind of getting to that first 30 days of food storage? How long have you been storing food? And uh, how long did it take you to get to your first 30 days built up? I guess we've been really storing food with any kind of organization. Now, we've always had extra food around. It's just something we've always done. It's something if I, back when I was, a, what I call asleep, if I looked in the pantry and it looked pretty bare, I'm like, oh, hell no. we got to go out. we got to fill this thing up. But, but that's all it was for years. And I would say in most of those situations, we probably could have went two weeks easy. Uh, so it was like we always had two weeks. Uh, but it would ebb and flow. It might be two weeks this week, and if we don't go to the grocery store this week, then we're down to a week. Or maybe we were down to uh, nine days because we weren't pulling just just from the pantry and just from the stuff that stores without refrigeration. But I would say that we've always been in kind of the two-week range. So we only had to go two weeks. Well, I decided to start doing this, and my wife thought I was a little bit nuts. And slowly and kind of fighting it, and every time we go to the grocery store grabbing a few extra things, when are we going to eat it? Get it, okay? If it was on sale, I grab a few things because it's a, use that excuse. And I got us up to like about this surplus week, and the pantry's like full. 
And uh, I'm like, okay, we need like a couple bins of food in case something goes wrong. She's like, well, what can go wrong? So I sat down with her one day. And I just explained. I said, look, here's the deal. We don't know what can go wrong. We really don't. I said, remember Y2K? We thought everybody was crazy. But we also said, hey, you know, they're bringing up some interesting points that how dependent we are on technology and everything. And I just started to point out some of the things that I talk to you every day about. I said, look, you're a nurse. You understand the risk of pandemic. What would the government do if it was a truly deadly pandemic going on right now, spreading person to person? She said they would quarantine everybody. I said, what does that mean? She said, we stay in our homes. I said, how long? She goes, until it passes. I said, could it be 30 days? She said, yes. I said, aha. So it was just one thing that won her over. And what we did is we pretty much went out right away and uh, just started buying stuff and filling up Rubbermaid tubs and started doing a little bit of math and saying, okay, here's a meal, here's a meal, here's a meal. And from that point to the time we got up to a 30-day storage was probably about two weeks because we just went out and spent the money. We took a little bit of money from savings, and we went out and we bought the stuff. And I'll I'll be honest with you. I only keep about 60 days' worth of stored food here in Arlington, and I keep more food. I will not say how much up at my bug-out location in Arkansas. I'll just say that it's more than I have here. So combined with those, we, we can do fairly well for ourselves. When I get there permanently, and I don't have a bug-out option, and I would have a bug-in primary option just about all the way across the board, we will be at at least a year. It will be a minimum of one year. And we will get there very, very quickly because just like we'll be buying things to improve the land because we're going to be there to work on it every day, we'll go out and just buy it. And um, if you have the financial resources to do it, I say you do it. And the way I explained it to my wife was, we are going to spend the money anyway. This is not... Um, another gun for me. It's not a fishing rod. Um, it's not something we could do without. We are going to eat the food. I, I, I told her right away, I don't want to go out and buy a year's supply of stuff in cans um, from like a mountain house or something like that, at least initially, um, because we won't eat that stuff day to day. I want to just do this with stuff we buy anyway. So it was a pretty easy sale to her to, to go ahead and do it. So that's that's kind of our initial start. And then getting that second 30 days, we did that slowly over time, and we just did it with every time we went to the grocery store. We would buy one or two days of additional food for storage. And all you've got to kind of do is just start going, okay, you start grouping your stuff together that you buy and go, okay, that's a meal minus the meat. All right, fine, we have meat in the freezer. If the meat goes bad in the freezer, here's a can of chicken, and here's a can of turkey, and here's a can of tuna, and those three things that make up that day's worth of meals with those meats may not be the greatest thing in the world, but we can use those meats somewhere else if we don't need them in a shit at the fan. But they are a protein supplement to go with that meal. Okay, so that's one meal. Fine. Boom. Into the pantry. And then all we've done since that is when something comes out, it goes on a list. We just keep a list inside the pantry. And if something comes out, we write it on the list. Next week, we go to the grocery store, or two weeks from now, we go to the grocery store. Everything on that list gets purchased and rotated through. The other thing we'll do is we pull it out of the pantry, we'll go to one of our bins and say, okay, one of the things we use a lot of is Wolf Brand Chili. I don't know if you like it or hate it. We really like Wolf Brand Chili to be used as an ingredient for a lot of different Tex-Mex things. It's simple, easy, efficient, and it's also fairly nutritious as far as calorie density and protein. So we use 
use a lot of the wolf chili with no beans. So if we pull a wolf chili out of the uh, the pantry, the first thing we do is we go to one of our bins and pull a wolf chili, because there's always some there, and pull it out, and it goes on the list, and you write next to it, bin. And if you have bins numbered like we do, you put bin 3. The bin 3 might be in our guest bedroom closet. So when we come home, all you do is take your list and lay it on the table, and everything in bin 3 goes in one pile, and you go upstairs and drop it in the bin. And, and that's pretty much how we run things here with a 60-day supply. And uh, there's a lot of people in the industry that would say that's an insufficient supply and that I should have more because I'm the advocate. But again, I'm telling you, if we have a, a disaster that looks like it's going to last more than 60 days, we are putting those bins in the back of the truck. We're hooking up the boat and turning it into a trailer. And we're running our expedite, get the hell out of Dodge drill, and we're going somewhere else. We're not going to stay here. We will bug out in something that critical. So we've stayed. You know, you can't have everything everywhere. So we've had to go with, and again, we've had to go with some more long-term storage food items at our bowl, at our bug-out location, right? Now, the other thing that we've done is kind of the same stuff we store here, we store there, and we have these bins. So what we might do is completely refresh a bin here. And when we go to Arkansas, there's no way we're going to go through a bin while we're there over a long weekend. But we'll take a bin with us of, of a refreshed bin, a mirror bin of what's up there. And then we bring that older bin home and start putting that into our rotation at home. So if you are in a two-location scenario, that's a way to handle that rotation. All right, hopefully that answers it. Next person asked me, what are my thoughts on credit unions? I've always talked about finding small banks. And um, here's my thoughts on credit unions without having to really think about it too hard. And then a question for myself at the end of this. Um, The big thing about credit unions is they're member-owned and they're not-for-profit and banks hate them. And that was my first thought when I heard this question. And uh, I went online and I typed in credit union, banks hate them, and I found an uh, MSN Money article that said exactly that. And I started reading it, and my question was, why the hell don't I join a credit union? And um, I don't have a good answer for that, other than I've always really enjoyed dealing with small banks. But my wife and I have actually been talking about leaving our bank. And we've been talking about leaving our bank because we're not really happy with the fact that our little bank that only had four branches now has hundreds of branches across the state of Texas because of two acquisitions over a two-year period. And our little Arlington Bank has now become Frost Bank. So with that in mind, I'm going to start looking at some credit unions that are in the area. And one of the things you may have thought of is I can't join a credit union because I don't have any kind of affiliation that would make me uh, available to be a member. Well, this article says that 90% of Americans qualify to join at least one credit union, if not several. And there's some credit unions that their affiliation is you live in the city that they're located in. So in no time at all, I found Arlington Federal Credit Union, which is here in Arlington. Now, I have to research them a little bit, learn a little bit more about them, but we're going to give those guys a look, and we may move our business there. Um, you will save money with a credit union when you borrow money, uh, generally about one point of interest across the board from standard bank rates. Uh, you may find getting approved for a loan a little bit easier. Now, you know how I feel about debt. So that mitigates that a little bit, but I'll tell you what, there are certain things that most people won't pay cash for. Uh, Chief among them would be a new car 
or a house. And those are two things that as long as you have the budget and savings built up to give yourself insurance, I'm okay going into debt for it. Now, I think you should be paying your cars off early, and I think you should be paying your homes off early. But I think it should be fixed rate, good positive loans, and I think there's people that have jobs that they need a good solid car that's not going to let them down, and they're better off with a new car than anything else, especially if they buy smart. So I think credit unions are good for that. They generally pay a little bit better of an interest rate on savings, and they are not for profit. And the fact that banks hate them kind of puts it over the top. So I don't know. I I think if you're looking at where you should keep your money and who you should do business with financially, uh, see if there's a credit union available. And I I don't know how much time I'm going to have when I get to work today, but I'll see if I can find the site and give you a link to it that helps you find credit unions uh, that you would qualify for. Using that, I found one I qualified for in about, oh, 15 seconds. So it's something to definitely look at. And I'm going to tell you folks, it's fixing to get noisy. Uh, there are giant lightning bolts ahead and very dark clouds. Um, next question is a great one. And it lines up with my rant last week about these people hating on the guy in the uh, NBC piece because he told people he had two years' supply of food. And saying nonsense and stupidity like, now your neighbor, no, he has food and they're going to kill him. Right, And that's what these people said. I'm not making this up, guys. That's what they said. His neighbors will kill him when the shit hits the fan. I found the link. It's in last week's show notes for Friday. Um, check it out. You'll see these idiots, and you'll see my response to them. But this person asked the legitimate side of that question. She says, look, my neighbors show up all the time for stuff that they should have, like milk or two eggs or some oil. You know, they're cooking something, and they go through the recipe, and they go, oh, we're out of eggs. Hey, you know, can I borrow a couple eggs? And, of course, she gives them a couple. Why the hell wouldn't you give your neighbor a couple eggs? We all know the, 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 the uh, stereotypical, I need a cup of sugar, I'm out of sugar. And she said, but, look, here's the deal. I, I've started to, like, tell these people a little bit about what I'm doing, but if they don't have two eggs on a Wednesday afternoon when everything's hunky-dory, what's going to happen with them if the shit hits the fan? How do I handle them if they show up looking for a handout if the shit hits the fan? Number one, here's some advice I got from a guy's recording that I listened to over a year ago. Basically, he said when he started storing food, he went out and he bought a whole buttload of corn, dried corn. Um, And he put together like 10 5-gallon buckets of corn. He said, anybody ever shows up, he's going to give them a couple pounds of corn and tell them to be on their way. It's easier to feed your neighbor than shoot them. At least they won't starve to death. They won't like it, but they won't starve to death. And he's going to tell them, that's all I got. You want some more corn, come back, I'll give you some more corn. But that's all I have. So that would mean they would only come when they're hungry and starving. Not a bad idea. But here's how I would address your problem. I would use the opportunity created when people come over and ask for eggs. I would say, oh, sure, let me go get those for you. And I would give them the two eggs. And I would say, hey, I just have a question for you. Have you ever considered what might happen if something really went wrong and we couldn't go to the grocery store for three or four weeks? Would you be okay if that happened? And let it go. And if they say something like, oh, you'll get your eggs back. I don't care. I don't even care if you bring two eggs, keep them. I'm more concerned for your family that you routinely run out of this stuff. If you'd like to know more about what you can do, ask me and I'll tell you. If you start spouting off with, look, you're not prepared, and one day things are going to suck, and at that point I'm not going to be able to help you because I'm going to have to take care of my own, they're not going to be very receptive. This message is best delivered the way you would feed a stray dog off the street that's scared and a little bit aggressive. Let me explain what I mean by that. You're driving down the road. You see a stray dog. 
He's sitting there. He looks miserable. You approach him. He's a little bit confrontational, a little bit afraid, but he doesn't just turn tail and run. He's just there. You want to help him. You take a plate of food in his environment, in his way, and you make it easy for him to say no. You place it down, and you back away from the food, and you stand there and you observe. Odds are the dog will come over, sniff the food, and gulf it down. If you give him a little bit more and you fed him twice, he'll probably immediately kind of gravitate to you, and you'll take this stray enemy, and you'll turn him into a devoted friend overnight if that's what you want to do. It will be that simple. If you jump out of your vehicle, throw a, lo- a noose around his neck, abduct him, shove him in, you know, he's trying to bite the, like, a noose stick into a, into a kennel, and put him in there, and cart him off somewhere where he's scared, put him in a small room, go in there and try to shove the food into his face, he'll probably chew the flesh from your arm, and you've gotten exactly what you deserve. When we talk to people about prepping, and we're forceful with you, better do this because, and you're going to die if you don't, and all these other things, and all this, like, we're better than you attitude, right? That's shoving the food into the dog's face. When we just say, hey, look, I've noticed that you occasionally don't have stuff, and I'm just wondering how much stuff do you have, and you know, like the swine flu thing, if they quarantined us for a month, would you guys be okay? You'll get some kind of a him and haw answer, and if you say, look, um, this is something we address, and we, we look at, and it's, it's not a big deal. It's pretty easy to do. If you want to know more about how you can do it for your family, let me know. You're going to get a very high reception. And you're not giving away, hey, I've got six months worth of food here. They don't really don't know what, but this heads it off before it becomes a problem. The more people we teach to save, conserve, and store, and be prepared, the less problem we'll have in a disaster. Remember, in disasters, it's generally not the disaster that is the biggest problem. It's the way people react to it that create the biggest problems. Now, I know some smart-ass out there. And you're like, Yank, how did you justify against the way that you call people sheeple all the time? Perfectly. Perfectly. Because the sheep, when you put that in front of them, will go, And they won't even they won't even acknowledge that you tried to help them. And if that is the case, then when you have to shut the door in their face and say, I'm sorry, I can't help you, you tried and you'll feel better about it. Or you'll give them a bucket of corn. One or the other. You know, maybe you should give them a bucket of clover. And the other side of that is, I don't call people that don't prep sheep. I call people that listen to whatever the TV tells them in all walks of life sheep. So I just want to say that before I hear from you. Because if you email me that, I'm not even going to read it. I'm really not. I'm really tired of people you, you call them sheep again. Yes, because they're sheep. Bah. Right? And I also call a lot of them ostriches. The ostriches is worse than the sheep. The ostrich isn't just, I believe what the TV tells me. The ostrich doesn't even know what the TV's saying. He doesn't know anything. He's got his head down in the sand. And I think we've got a lot of people out there that are ostriches. Hold on, folks. Um, nobody's doing anything rude. This is just one of these parts of my commute that is really a pain in the ass. And i got to get across three lanes of traffic. Oh, now i got an idiot. An idiot in Dodge Charger flying up my ass because it couldn't stand me getting in this lane. I'm sorry, I need to get in this lane. You can get in the other lane. Yay! All right, so see, I didn't snap out on him because he wasn't that bad. All right, the next question is, what age do you start teaching kids to shoot? And two people asked that, and one of the two said, how do I keep guns in the home safe for my kids? Those are two different questions, but we'll answer them together. What age do you teach your kids to shoot? It's highly personal. 
I'll tell you my thoughts, and if you start younger, I'm okay, and if you start later, I'm okay. Don't get upset with me because my number and your number doesn't jive. This is a lot like choosing a house. I can give you some recommendations, but in the end, you're the one that has to live there as I hit the wall of rain. Um, With me, I came into my son's life when he was seven years old, and it was plenty old enough to uh, to start shooting something, but not a firearm. Mainly because, not so much because it's not safe, because I didn't think he was physically and mentally prepared to shoot firearms yet. That if I started him even with a 22 at that point, he would develop flinches and fear. So the first thing I did is I went out and I bought a Daisy 105 PAL. I think it's a 105, but it's a Daisy PAL uh, BB gun. It's a spring-powered little um, lever-action BB gun. And I taught him everything there was to know about gun safety before a firearm went in his hand. And I went as far as to tell him, look, if it would be a one in a million. But if you shot somebody with this thing in the exact right place or time, you could end up killing them. Even if it's because you, you hit them in the head and they fell over and fell off of, a, you know, off of a curb into a car and got run over by a car. You have to accept the fact that even this little toy, basically, could be deadly in the wrong circumstances. And it can certainly hurt or harm somebody or take an eye out and, and you know, damage that person for the rest of their life. So you have to respect this implement. And uh, I taught him everything. I taught him how to cross fences with his, with his BB gun. We'd go out and, in the woods and we'd come to a fence. And I'd say, okay, look, this is, this is probably not necessary with a BB gun. But this is how you cross with a firearm. So this is what you do. And I'd show him, you know, put the gun on safe. Lay it down under the fence. Move a few feet away from the gun. Cross the fence there. Come back and get your gun. And I taught him all of those things before a firearm went in his hands. I started him shooting uh, 22 at about 10. And I think you could definitely start earlier, but with him it was just the right time. And uh, any earlier would have probably been the wrong time. From there we moved very quickly into uh, moderately powered center fires, uh, shotguns, starting with a 410. A lot of people say you shouldn't start a kid with a 410. And the reason you shouldn't do it is because a 410 is really for the expert shotgunner because it's such a small shot, uh, a charge of shot. But it does have a very light, mild recoil. So I taught him to shoot a shotgun with a 410. And then once he knew how to shoot a shotgun, he had his form right, he was keeping his head down so that the recoil wouldn't harm him and hurt him and give him a flinch, then I moved him into a youth model uh, Remington 870 20-gauge. That was kind of the progression I took. Now, you could start a child much younger if you want to, but it's a matter of what type of resources do you have available to you to shoot? Do you have to go to a range? When you're at that range, are there going to be guys 10 benches down from you blowing off 300 magnums? Is that going to cause flinching even if you're, whatever they're shooting is not causing a flinch? Is your kid really into it or are they a little bit apprehensive? You have to gauge those things for yourself. Now, as far as keeping weapons safe from children, um, there's two different schools of thoughts on that that I actually have, and they're in conflict with each other. When I grew up, especially in Pennsylvania, we had a great big oak gun cabinet. Everybody's guns were in that cabinet. It was never locked. And I would often go into that cabinet without asking anybody, pull guns out of it, take the oil rag out that we kept in a little uh, jelly jar that we kept saturated with oil, and wipe down all the guns. Uh, my gun, uh, my uncle would come home with a gun before I was old enough to hunt. It was dirty because he'd used it all day. Hand me the gun, hand me a cleaning kit, and say, clean my gun for me. Not really as a chore because he knew I enjoyed it, and he was also teaching me how to maintain my own guns as I got old enough to go out and hunt myself. 
So I had free access, but I had a very clear understanding that guns only had very specific uses, that a gun was never loaded in the house, and I better never touch a gun and put a round of ammunition in it if I wanted to one day have the responsibility handed over to me. And I, as I've said before, by 13, I was free to grab a 22 and two boxes of shells and head out to the mountains. I don't know that I would let kids have that freedom today myself, and, and I feel bad about that. But I think that there has to be more oversight than that in today's day and age, unless there's still some places left in the world that I don't know about where that kind of freedom exists. In the end, you know your children. You make your decisions with your children. You also have to comply with local law. I will say about the majority of your weapons, though, people have this conflict. This is the second question. How do I make sure that my guns are available if I need them for defense, but keep them safe for my children? I'm assuming the person that asked that question has more than a couple guns. You have, you know, a bunch of guns. Well, I think that the majority of your guns should be locked up in a gun safe or uh, at least some type of secured closet or something like that that not only kids can't get into, but criminals can't get into. And I'll give you a very low-priced way to secure a lot of guns in just a minute um, without spending the money that a big gun safe costs. Uh, a couple hundred bucks, but way less than, like, you know, a 16-gun heavy-duty gun case. It has some advantages, too, uh, for the individual that has maybe a two-story house. All right. Now, the other side of that, though, is you probably do need some weapons for home defense. So my point first is secure everything that's not considered a home defense weapon. Number two, if you're carrying a sidearm for um, home defense and you carry day-to-day, day-to-day carry, concealed carry, then carry your gun in the home. When you get home, don't take your gun off and put it under a mattress or in a bookshelf or something like that. Carry while you're in your house. You're downstairs. Somebody tries to break into your home. Oh, excuse me, uh, bad guy. Let me run upstairs and uh, get my gun. And I'll be back, and then we can sort this out. Or draw down. Which one would you rather have the option of doing? So by carrying your sidearm, and if, you, if your wife has a, a concealed carry permit, and she carries two, she, both of you should carry in the home. Now the gun is not accessible to your child at any point when you're awake, when you're home, or when you're not home. Because your gun's with you, not freely available to your child, without even securing because it's secured by being on your body. Next, I don't have a problem with putting the gun under the mattress. While I'm sleeping on top of the mattress, it makes it extremely accessible to me. And my kid's not going to be able, even when he was younger, to get into my room and extract. And he doesn't know it goes there. That's the other thing. A lot of places that you keep weapons um, that might be accessible, uh, don't tell the kid that the guns are there. But it all starts with a, a good, solid education and a healthy respect by children for the firearms in the first place. And uh, there are other ways to maybe make a weapon easily accessible but highly concealed and telling children you don't go in mommy and daddy's room for a variety of reasons without mommy and daddy going with you is a good way to put another safety net there. But the uh, the open gun cabinet policy that I grew up with is probably not the best idea today. But all I can tell you is it sure fostered a love of firearms for me, and there was never uh, a point at which um, I violated that trust. So, again, you know your own children. You have to make your own decisions, and God, you know, under, you know, please understand, you've got to comply with local laws um, and federal laws with how you allow access to your weapons. And God forbid you should ever be in a situation where a weapon gets out of control and does harm or kills somebody uh, because you didn't maintain control of it. So please think about that as you make your decisions. Uh, next one, a guy says, I'm going to school. 
and I'm ready right now. And I'm working part-time, and I'm putting more efforts into school than anything else until I get through with school, because I think it's the right thing for me. Hey, good for you. Former military guy. Uh, he's got a little community going on with uh, three or four ex-platoon uh, uh, fellow platoon members. They've got a uh, bug-out location kind of out in the country, um, a little bit away from where all of them live together community-wise. Uh, but overall, money's tight, and given he's got this bug-out location, this agreement with these other guys, what should he still keep on hand while money's tight in his little apartment while he's renting? 30 days worth of food and water is the short answer. If you have that, you'll deal with 90% of the things that would uh, fall short of sending you uh, to your bug out location, and, you, and some gear, flashlights, you know, radios, same stuff that everybody else keeps. Slowly build it up. Don't feel that you have to do it overnight, and uh, feel fortunate that you have a place to go. I would, I did get the feeling from this individual that there may not be an awful lot of um, foodstuffs stored at your bug out location. So what you might want to do is one, put some stuff there, even if it's a couple cases some MREs you guys go in on together uh, or something like that just for an easy, uh, highly storable initial start. But each of you may be making a covenant to put together a tub or two of food that would provide sustenance for at least 30 days and that if you ever have to move to your bowl to bring that with you. And I would say eventually upping that to 60 is probably not a bad idea. It sounds like you guys are all single. Um, and 30 to 60 days worth of food for a single individual is pretty easy to do. Um, so that's what I would do there. I wouldn't get over um, reaching with the tactical aspects of things right now. I know you're former Army, so um, that's going to be a predisposition for you just as it was for me. A decent shotgun, rifle, and handgun, always a good thing to have. But 30 days worth of food and water comes first. You can't eat bullets and you can't eat guns. And if you don't have anything to defend, um, they're really not as valuable as I think some of the community make them out to be. A couple things occur to me, though, for your bug allocation that sounds like it's not really prepared very well yet, um, with at least being able to feed yourself. It's probably a good time, good idea for you guys to start getting your hands on um, some permanent crops to plant out there. Grapevines, uh, fruit trees, things like that. Maybe some seeds. Understand that seeds take a long time to produce, and you might have to bug out in January and you ain't planting nothing. But it's still probably a good idea, a very low-cost investment. If you guys can get there on occasion, it might be a good idea for you to start a community garden out there and keep it in production and kind of rotate responsibility for going out to provide irrigation, maybe even putting in a um, drip irrigation system on a timer would be a way to mitigate how often that has to happen. But I would start improving the preps there. I would consider it, if you don't have one, I, I, just based on the way you talk, I imagine you have some guns, but I would say everybody should at least have a 20 and a shotgun um, to be able to provide some food off of this land. So you have a pretty decent chunk of land. There's probably a lot of uh, animal life that can be harvested if you had to at least initially. Uh, just realize that will run out if you don't, uh, you know, if you don't have the ability to provide sustainability long term. And uh, some I've never really talked about that maybe I should do a show on someday might be a good idea for you guys to store at least out in your, your bug out location is some trapping equipment. Um, either conibear traps, which I'm not really a fan of because they tend to uh, at times kill animals that you prefer not to kill, um, or some lake hole traps. Uh, in fact, you know, like one and a half uh, coil springs are a good kind of universal all around trap and start teaching yourself the skill of trapping uh, because traps. Traps work when you're sleeping. 
So it might be something that you want to look into as well. And uh, I think that um, wraps up that one. And we got one more question before we... Actually, two more questions. I don't know if we'll even do both of them today. I'm almost to the office. Um, but the, ver- the next question is a pretty quick and short one. person says they've basically been paying their electric uh, and other utility bills in advance, basically making double payments on whatever is due. And then as they come due, they just pay the next payment. So they stay with a positive balance of at least 30 days. And that their feeling is that's a pretty big advantage because if they had to leave for 30 days, they don't have to worry about having the power or whatever shut off while they're gone. A decent strategy. Um, you are giving them your money when you could be holding on to it. Um, so I'm not sure it's something I would do, but I, I can't really find fault with it. And uh, occasionally we end up with a positive balance on an electric bill or something because we do the same thing. But we generally do it when we know we might not be there to pay the bill when it comes to. So we do it selectively. So I can't find fault with that that um, that strategy other than they'll never give you the money back. Um, ever. So if you needed it, like all of a sudden you came into a cash shortfall and you had paid an extra $200 into your electric company and you need that $200, you can't phone them up and ask for it. Now, when you shut power off, eventually they'll send you a rebate for whatever overage you've paid. That'll take a while, too. That might take as long as three or four weeks before you'll see a check show up at your new location. So just understand that is kind of the inherent disadvantage, but I can't find anything wrong with it. And for those of you that occasionally have to travel or things like that, you may want to consider it. There is always the option of setting up online bill paying so you can pay from anywhere, um, but in a disaster, that may not be feasible. So, I, I don't know. If you're in that big of a disaster, maybe you're not worried about whether your power's on, but coming home and not having everything in your freezer or refrigerator spoiled, probably a really positive thing. I think what most people don't realize, though, is it's actually very difficult for a power company to shut you off just for 30 days in the rear. Even 60 days is very, very difficult uh, to get away with. Most power companies are not permitted to do that um, without at least a 90-day default and a complete refusal to do anything by the occupant. That's why they're so hesitant to turn the power on in the first place without a deposit because they can end up in a situation where the person's not paying their bills and because of local or state ordinances, they're unable to shut the power off because we're protecting our elderly from having their AC shut off in August. That's the reason we have those uh, restrictions on the power companies, and I actually support those. Um, last question was, where do I find info on canning veggies? Uh, not, they bought a pressure can, but they can't find a lot of information on like how long durations. Hey, man, the internet. There's tons of websites out there, and even some pretty good ones from our government that give you processing guidelines for different vegetables, how long to can, what pressures to can at, things like that. I'll throw some links into today's show notes for you, uh, but just know there's plenty of free information on canning. But one thing I really recommend with canning is get um, a catalog for continuing education uh, options for adults from your local college or community college. And there's probably a good course on canning you can take for probably about 75 bucks on average is what I've seen them go for. And they usually be three or four nights over like three or four weeks. And you'll learn different methods of canning and preserving. You'll actually do some canning. Um, talk to the instructor and in advance if there's anything that you need to bring with you uh, or if you have a particular variety of canner, if they'd be willing to look at it and give you some advice on what you do with it uh, beyond whatever's provided to you at the school. Uh, but I think that's a great idea to get some additional education
attention on. Canning is probably one of the most fundamental skills that you can develop as a modern survivalist. Canning and dehydration allow you to preserve a massive variety of foods, including meats, uh, regardless of whether you have electricity or a refrigerator or a freezer or anything like that. Um, it is probably the best preservation method to make yourself aware of because it will work in situations even where dehydration will not. And if you become a skilled dehydrator and a skilled canner, you can take advantage of sales on, on goods that are uh, available at your supermarket or farmer's market. Uh, you can grow your own and you can put, put away a ton of food and maintain a lot of your one-year supply for a hell of a lot less than buying prepackaged products. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap things up today. Um, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler It really doesn't matter Cause it all gets spent